me pray, and uh, we're going to be in Exodus chapter, uh, mostly in chapter 16 today. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your grace, for your goodness. Thank you for uh, your faithfulness throughout uh, all time. Uh, Jesus, sometimes we, we wrongly think about you as only uh, being in the picture after uh, Christmas, but in reality, you're eternal. And uh, you were there at creation, you were there before creation, and uh, you lead your people and redeem your people all throughout scripture. And uh, one day you'll have us to be with you forever. This morning, Holy Spirit, would you uh, teach through me and preach through me, even teach me as I teach. Uh, we pray against the enemy as servants, their works and effects. You take your word and twist it and cause us uh, not to believe or to doubt, or in the case of the Israelites this morning, to grumble to complain. But instead, let us see your grace. Remember your goodness. Make us like Jesus. It's in his name we pray all of these things. Amen. We've taken a break over the last few weeks from our series uh, called Redemption through the book of Exodus. And uh, today we're going to dive back in. And uh, where we left off uh, early in July is uh, God's people, just to take you through the whole story briefly, uh, had spent 400 years in Egypt. And in Egypt, over time, uh, they became slaves because they multiplied and became such a great nation that the Egyptians were afraid of them. And Pharaoh and his insecurity uh, afflicted them and placed heavy burdens on them. And they cried out to God for help. Why, why don't you rescue us? Why are you leaving us here in this mess? And God uh, graciously raised up and miraculously raised up a man by the name of Moses uh, to rescue his people. And uh, Moses uh, was far from uh, a righteous, totally righteous man. He had faults and issues of his own, just like we all do. And in fact, he was a murderer. He was a coward at times. He failed to obey God at times when he should have. He was a man who dealt, as we're gonna see over the next few weeks, uh, big time with anger, and uh, yet God used him. That's, you know God is in the business exclusively of using broken people? That's the only kind of people he uses other than Jesus himself. That's all he uses is broken, messed up people like us. And so uh, Moses, uh, though he was a murderer at the age of 80, comes back to lead God's people to freedom. And there's the 10 plagues and then God leads them out of captivity. And you know the account, uh, most people know the account where, where God leads them across the Red Sea. He parts the Red Sea so that they can flee from Pharaoh's army who's chasing after them. And they get across to the other side and uh, God tells Moses to raise up his staff and the sea closes in on top of Pharaoh's army who's chasing God's people. God rescued them. And we ended our time in Exodus 15 uh, with the song of Moses, where they sing praises to God for all that he had done. And as we were going through that, I kind of, I gave you some, uh, maybe to you, new geography. Uh, traditionally, and in your Bible, it'll show Mount Sinai at the bottom of, of what we know as the Sinai Peninsula. But there's a good deal of evidence, and I wouldn't die for this. So hear me, this is my opinion. This is just kind of where I'm at today. But I really think there's some good evidence that Sinai is actually in modern day Saudi Arabia. And the only reason I bring that up is just this picture of where I think they are potentially. And you can decide for yourself as you study the text, but, but they've just crossed the Red Sea, that, that kind of uh, Eastern finger of the Red Sea up there. 
And uh, that's where we pick up the story this morning. And we're going to be in Exodus. We're going to start actually a little bit in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. The text says this, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. Now we're talking about uh, likely upwards and potentially over a million people. And to go three days in the desert without water, uh, not great. Would you agree? And whatever water they, they were able to carry with them in like goat skins and other things uh, was probably used up by this point. And so as you can imagine, you read in verse 23, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Mara because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara. The reason the place was called Mara, Mara in Hebrew means bitter. And so they named this place bitter because the water is bitter. I, we don't know what that means exactly, but have you ever had water that's like just got way too many minerals or sulfur or iron or something in it? I grew up on a farm and uh, we had well water. And every now and then, depending on which faucet you got it out of, it might come out a little orange and you let it run for a little while before you drank it. Anybody have that? And, and if you drank it when it was still orange, it tasted kind of orange. And even afterwards it did too. It was Mara water. And maybe that's the case here. Well, the people then, look at verse 24, they grumbled against Moses. Saying, Moses, what did you lead us here for? What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but the point of this short passage and this story, this account of the water at Mara, isn't some scientific account to figure out, well, what kind of log did he throw into the water? And what were all the, the, the chemical properties that, you know, alkaline, and what, what is all this? Maybe that happened, I don't know, but it's really not the point. The point is God showed Moses uh, a way to obey him. And what did Moses do? He obeyed and then God blessed the people. That's really the point here that, that, the, that God wants us to understand. And so he throws a log into the water. The water becomes sweet, in other, in other words, drinkable. And then the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them. Now this is gonna set up the rest of the message for this morning. God's setting up this rule, setting up this test. And here's, here's what it is. He says, if... You will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God. And if you will do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put onto the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. In other words, he's saying, listen, from here on out, guys, like if, if you listen to me, like Moses just listened to me and it made no sense, but he threw a log in the water and now it's good. He did what didn't make sense and I blessed. If you will listen to my voice and even when it doesn't make sense, when you will obey, I will pour out my blessing upon you. Do you see that? Or am I making it up? Do you see it in the text? All right. Now verse 27, they came then, they went from there, they came to Elim where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees and they encamped there by the water. Let me show you a picture of where some people believe Elim actually is. This is an oasis just across from that place I showed you where they, 
where I believe they crossed uh, uh, the Red Sea in Saudi Arabia. Maybe this is Elim. There's actually 12 wells there of fresh water, just like the text tells us. And this is potentially the very site where God's people camp on their way to Mount Sinai. So let's continue in Exodus 16. They set out from Elim and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. And you read that, it looks like sin, but in Hebrew that would have been pronounced Sin. They came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So since they left Egypt, it's uh, two and a half months now since they've left Egypt that they've been wandering, or not wandering, but in route to Mount Sinai. Now, after two and a half months of that, can you imagine in a large caravan of people walking through the desert, you have no water, and then you get some water and it's bitter, but then God provides fresh water, and finally you make it to this oasis, and you can just relax and rest for a while and get some water, and now we set out again. Look at verse 2 the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. They murmured, they complained, they grumbled. You know, when you look at this in light of everything that's happened, it's really pretty incredible, isn't it? That God's people would grumble against Moses. Um, Let's just consider where they've been. They were slaves in Egypt. They cried out to God. He raised up a deliverer who rescued them in Moses, and he did it in a miraculous way. Think of all the plagues they saw, the the Nile turning to blood and uh, light to darkness and the death of the firstborn. And then if that wasn't enough, how God miraculously parts the Red Sea in front of them. And they walk across on dry ground, and Pharaoh's army chases them in. And then they get to the other side, and they're like, oh, no, Pharaoh's army's coming too. But what happens? God closes the water over them and drowns all of Pharaoh's army. He miraculously rescues them and they're on their way. And then he provides fresh water for them and he provides all these things. And yet what happens? They grumble against Moses. Not only that, but they had a pillar of cloud by day to guide them and a pillar of fire by night. Like God's presence was visible to them the whole time. And they grumble against Moses and Aaron. You know, but before we critique them too much, this is still pretty common in our day, isn't it? That uh, a lot of times after, and in fact, we had a staff meeting in June and I mentioned this. I said, you know, after a big win, like for us, the the renovations of our facility, uh, just other good things happening. And uh, after a big win, what tends to happen is people kind of settle in, they get used to their routine. And then what tends to happen? Grumble start as a slow murmur, you know, kind of like the that dog on Hanna Barbera, Mutley, and then it just grows and it grows until it just becomes full out complaining. And I, I just made a comment: Hey, we we got to be on guard here and pray about this, that we wouldn't follow the example of the Israelites, right? And so now maybe I just share that with all of us, that we would be on guard, that we'd guard our hearts to to hear God's word and obey it and to listen to it rather than to default into a a sinful pattern of grumbling or complaining. By God's grace, I hope we we do exactly that and, and avoid that pattern. 
But don't look down on the Israelites as if they messed up somehow or that we're better than them because the reality is we're just like them. And we all do it. Look at verse three. The people of Israel said to them, oh, Moses, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. I mean, that's the place we had. We, we sat by pots of meat, Moses. We had crock pots of roast every day. Oh, that we could go back to Egypt. And we had bread, oh, garlic bread and soft bread and any kind of bread you'd ever want to the full. We had all this bread and all this meat, Moses, and you drug us out here into the wilderness. Unbelievable, they grumbled. I wonder, you know, the, the Bible text, we, we, it's impossible for us to have a complete record of exactly everything that happens. But I, I kind of wonder what's going through Moses' mind right here. Dude, you were slaves. You were beaten. You had afflictions like nobody's ever had. What are you talking about? You want to go back. Haven't you seen how God's rescued us? See, a a lot of times uh, the reality is that grumbling and complaining is sin and sin makes us delusional. And in our sin, uh, we remember things not the way they were, but in a different way that maybe benefits our story and our cause. And that's exactly, they, they just have selective memory. You know, it's kind of like when we talk about the good old days. Well, the good old days weren't that great. Let's be honest, right? Some things were good, but there's a lot that wasn't that great. And they just complained. They said, you brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. You're just gonna starve us, Moses. Well, verse four, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, pay attention. In other words, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them. What was the test back in 15? If they would listen to my voice and obey, you would, you would shower them with blessing, right? That I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. God's gonna respond graciously to their grumbling in order to test them. So on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, And on the sixth day, it'll be twice as much as they gather daily because the seventh day was a day of rest. They weren't to work on that day. So God's gonna give them a double portion on the sixth day so they don't have to go out. Now look at verse six. Now Moses and Aaron, they said to the people of Israel, at evening, you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? I want you to see this. This is gonna become a pattern in their lives and left unchecked, it will bring ruin to their lives. But the first thing to notice here in verse seven and eight is God hears our grumbling. He hears it. And I don't, I don't believe there's a person in this room, including the one on the stage that hasn't or doesn't at times grumble and complain. Do you know God hears your grumbling? hears your complaining, he hears your murmuring, he hears it. See, Moses said, verse eight, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. He's like, what are we? It wasn't us, like God led us here. What are you complaining to us for? Your grumbling is not against us, Moses said, but against the Lord. 
And just a few few things, our grumbling is before God, he hears it. It's in front of him. There, there's nothing he doesn't know. There's nothing he doesn't see. But ultimately, look at this. Our grumbling is against God. We saw it in verse 7, in verse 8, in verse 9. Moses says, for what are we? Why are you complaining to us? God's the one in control. He's leading. Haven't you seen this big pillar of fire? You think like we light a fire every day that big? Like, what about the cloud? You think we got a fog machine, guys? I mean, look, God is here. He's, it, it's, you're complaining before him, and ultimately you're complaining against him. He's the one who's rescued you. You're complaining against him. He's the one leading. Those of you who, uh, now, now Moses takes the brunt of it because he's the leader, right? Any of you who've led in any way, shape, or form, you know what that's like. You know that uh, sometimes when grumbling and complaining comes up, it it may not be your fault, but you're the face of everything going on, so it comes against you. And this seems to happen in a big way spiritually. Like maybe you've led a, a small group or you've led in our student ministry and uh, you, you just have this grumbling and complaining against you because what happens is you become kind of the face of God to people spiritually. And the issue may not be with you, but the complaining comes to you and it gets pointed at you. You know, maybe, uh, maybe moms and dads, you've had this experience with your kids. The issue really isn't you. The issue's in their heart, but the complaining, who's it come to? It comes to you. And so God's people here, their issue ultimately is with God, but it's all coming onto Moses as the face. And, and look at what, how God responds in Numbers chapter 14, verse 27. How long, he says, shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? How long will they grumble against me? See, they grumbled to Moses, but ultimately it was against God. Our grumbling, our complaining, it's before God, and ultimately it's against God. Now, then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he's heard your grumbling. Now, Parents, you might appreciate this verse a little bit if you think about it. Because what's happening here is God's people have been grumbling, his kids have been grumbling, and uh, their dad hears them grumbling. You ever say something or give some instruction to your kids and they walk away and under their breath, yeah, I'll do that, I don't want to do that. Anybody? Anybody do that to their parents growing up, right? And then what happens after that happens? What 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 does your dad do? What was that? What'd you say? Come back here. Come back here. That's kind of what's happening right here. Look, see, God's people have been grumbling. His kids are grumbling. And uh, Moses says to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of people, hey, come back here. I heard that. Why don't you come here? Before the Lord, for he's heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke, he rebuked them. Uh, To the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. See, don't miss it. God had been present the entire time. It's just at this point, he decided to reveal himself. He's before, our grumbling is all before him. He hears it and it's against him. Now, uh, grace, God, God in his grace is about to test them with a blessing. And as he does this, let's not miss the fact that this is written down, friends, for our instruction. See, anybody who'd tell you that the Old Testament doesn't matter, that it's just old, that's why it's the Old Testament, so we don't pay attention to it, nonsense. 
In fact, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, I'll read a little bit leading up to this, but Paul is actually writing about some of these events. And he says, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and how they were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble like they did. He says in verse 10, as some of them did and were destroyed. Now these things, Paul writes, happened to them, to the Israelites as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. So don't just think, oh, this is way back then. It doesn't have anything to do with me. No, no, no. It was written down for you and for me, right? And the first thing we've seen is God hears our grumbling, yet here's the, here's the incredible piece. He responds with grace. God hears our grumbling, but he responds with grace. And it's, it's going to be a test. See, the Lord said to Moses, verse 11, I've, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I'm the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. So what's going to happen here is uh, God is going to provide a meal for them of quail that night, and then beginning the next morning, this this weird stuff called manna is going to begin appearing on the ground. And the people have been thirsty, and God provided water when they needed it. And they're starving, and they're hungry, and now he's providing food just when they need it. And one pastor says it like this, God gives you just enough, just in time. And that's what we see here. He gives them just enough, just in time. And in the evening, quail came up, they covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay on the ground. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. Maybe as we get into the fall and you start seeing frost on the ground, you'll be reminded of this passage and of of the Israelites grumbling and and our call not to grumble, but to be thankful. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? What is that? For they didn't know what it was. And Moses said to them, it's the bread that the Lord's given you to eat. Now you may know this as what? What's it called? What's it get called later in scripture? Manna. But did you know manna is actually a Hebrew word, manna? Do you know what it means? What is it? They called it, what is it? Like, I think if this had happened in Indiana, it'd be called, what at? We wouldn't be talking about manna, it'd be, what at from heaven? Because everybody would walk outside, we'd look at it on the ground and go, what's that? That's, that's, I don't know what it is, it's what at. Give me some of that, what at? And that's, what, that's probably what it'd be called. That's what manna means. It means, what is it? What is it? Nobody knows. It's just this miraculous thing God provides for them. And and this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer. An omer is just a a dry measure of about two quarts, according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less, just enough for what they needed. But when they had measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. God provided every need for them, didn't he? Paul talks later about Jesus being uh, the provider of spiritual manna to us, spiritual food. And in uh, Philippians, he says, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Now, This has all happened, and they're about to face the test. Here comes the test. 
And, and the test that God lays in front of them is a test that will be laid in front of them over and over throughout their time now uh, on their way to the promised land. And it, it can be summarized, the grading scale for this test that God lays out can be summarized like this. Choose to obey, choose blessing. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. If you choose to obey God's words, he's going to bless you. Yet if I choose to sin, I choose not to obey. What am I choosing? I'm choosing to suffer. Let that sink in a little bit. That that when we choose to obey, we receive blessing. When we choose to sin, we're actually choosing to suffer. We'll come back to this thought. Let's keep reading. Moses says to them, let no one leave any of it over until the morning. So they're to gather it all up, bring it in, but don't leave it till the morning. So what's the command from God? Don't leave it till morning. So what should you not do? Shouldn't leave it till morning. What should you do? Dump it out at the end of the day if you don't eat it all. Eat it all, eat what you can, then dump the rest out. Because if you do that, then blessing, there's gonna be more. But if you don't do that, what's gonna happen? Suffer. See, look. It's just a a real simple illustration God gives them right away, but they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was very angry with them. Understandably, they, they chose to sin, they chose to suffer. So morning by morning then, they, they, they appear to have learned from this immediate illustration God gives them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, uh, he, he gave him instruction. He said, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow's a day of solemn rest. It's a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you will, bake and boil what you will boil. And all that's left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. Evidently, there's more than one way to prepare manna. You can bake it, you can boil it. But after, you know, on that sixth day, you're going to get a double portion to keep over for the Sabbath day. So they lay it aside till the morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink. See, this time they chose to obey, and they received blessing on that sixth day. And there were no worms in it. And Moses said, eat it today, for today's a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. Friends, this principle, choose to, choose to obey, choose blessing, choose to sin, choose to suffer, is all throughout scripture and it's still in effect today. Especially for followers of Jesus Christ. It's part of God's grace to us that when you obey him, he blesses you. And when you don't, You suffer. Why? To discipline you. See, is your life a mess right now? It could be a mess because you've chosen for it to be. Now listen, I know that's a hard thing to hear. But when you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. That principle hasn't gone out the window with grace. In fact, it's God's grace that allows that to continue so that we would turn back to Jesus and love him more and live the way we're designed to live. Yet when you choose to obey, you choose blessing. Trust in Christ, does it make life better? Yes, but it doesn't immediately fix everything. God is not like a helicopter parent. You know what a helicopter parent is? 
you're in education at all, you know what a helicopter parent is. A helicopter parent is the parent that uh, hovers in. Well, why did my child get that grade? Well, but he's smarter than that. I know he's very smart. And they just kind of, they hover and they interfere in every aspect. And you would think as the child grows older and into college that that uh, gets less and less. But in reality, true helicopter parents, they hover closer because they're losing control. Rock, you can attest to that teaching of grace. God's not a helicopter parent where he's gonna come in and just fix everything for you all the time. There's choices to be made. And his grace allows you to choose so that you would choose to love him more. Do you see it? Choose to obey, choose blessing, choose to sin, choose to suffer. try to instill this in Charlie, our three-year-old, by using these terms of, uh, hey, Charlie, what are you going to do today? If you, if you ask him that in the morning, one of the things he'll say, I'm going to listen and obey, Dad. And now he knows, he knows that that's the correct thing to say. That doesn't mean he gets it and he does that all the time. That just means he knows that's the right thing. But trying to, to get that in his head and then, and, and what's going to happen if you don't? Well, there'll be consequences. And then when he does something wrong that he knows he shouldn't have done, yeah, but we don't have to have consequences, right? No consequences, dad, no consequences. I do that with God, do you? Right, I, I disobey what he's laid out for me to do. And then I go, yeah, but no consequences, right? No. Choose to sin, Josh, choose to suffer. Choose to obey, that, and that suffering is so that you might learn to choose to obey and receive blessing. See, in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses lays all this out later. I, I have it on the screen. I'm not going to read it all, but know this in verse 5. He says, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. And this whole principle is, is a piece of discipline. See, God hears our grumbling, yet he responds with grace with a test. Why? so that we'd choose Jesus and obey. He's testing the Israelites here so that they would choose to obey, that they would taste and see that the Lord is good. Look at verse 27. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. What did God tell them not to do? He said, don't go gather on the seventh day. Why? There's not gonna be any on the seventh day. That's a day to rest. Gather twice as much on the sixth day. And then don't complain to me when you go out on the seventh day and there's nothing there. I told you what to do. And if you don't do it, if you choose to disobey, you choose to sin, you're choosing to suffer. You're going to be hungry tomorrow. They go out and there's nothing there. And then the Lord says to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? How long do you just refuse to obey? How long do you refuse? Now he says it to Moses, speaking to everyone, but, but you know, sometimes we read this and we think, oh, well, yeah, Moses, he must've been so frustrated with everybody. But did you know Moses complained as much as anyone? If you go read Numbers chapter 11, you see Moses complaining about leading and like, God, why did you, why did you give me all these people to lead? And they just, they turn against you all the time and I can't take it. Why don't you kill me now? Literally, I mean, he basically says, God, why don't you kill me today? He really does. Like you've said that maybe facetiously. Moses said it in a prayer to God. 
kill me now. He was, he was just as guilty. So while God speaks to, Mo, to all the people through Moses, he also speaks to Moses here. How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord's given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. So the people rested on the seventh day. And then there's some summary comments here at the end of chapter 16. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. I like to think it, so it kind of tasted like funnel cakes. Be pretty good. Um, Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer be kept throughout your generations. He, he repeats the command and Moses said to Aaron, now here's the deal, Aaron, take a jar, put an omer of manna in it, place it before the Lord to be kept through your generations. And as the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years. See, because they didn't learn, because their grumbling became a lifestyle, they're gonna end up out here in the wilderness for 40 years. Just kind of foreshadowing what's coming. Until they came to a habitable land, they ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is a 10th part of an ephah. Here's what I would say as we close. Your choices today will determine your reality tomorrow. Their choices in the moment determined that for 40 years they would spend a lifetime wandering in the wilderness, still grumbling, not trusting, not exercising faith, not being thankful. But it wouldn't be helpful for me to just say, hey, quit complaining, quit grumbling, would it? Would that be helpful? Like, oh yeah, thanks, all the things I'm not supposed to do. That's what I needed, one more thing that I know I'm not supposed to do. Well, what's the antidote to this? What's the antidote to complaining and grumbling? You know what it is? It's thankfulness. It's thankfulness. See, and it's the idea of choosing thankfulness. It's a choice, friends. You can choose it. God told Moses to tell Aaron to put an omer and keep it in the testimony in front of the people as they worship so that they would remember God's goodness and they would be thankful for all the things he had done, trusting him for more in the future. The antidote to complaining and grumbling is thankfulness. It's choosing to be thankful. Psalm 107 verse eight says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. I kind of like the new King James version of this. It says, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. And by men, it means men and women. Oh, that people would give thanks. Oh, that they would thank him. As we close, I wonder, have you seen the movie Castaway? You ever seen that movie? Came out around the year 2000. Tom Hanks is a FedEx pilot. His plane goes down in the Pacific Ocean and he gets uh, washed ashore to this deserted island. And he learns to live there on his own for a number of years before getting rescued. And, but did you also know that that story, that might be more familiar to many here, but did you know that story is actually based on a much older story called Robinson Crusoe? written by a guy by the name of Daniel Defoe in 1719. I had to read it for my Brit Lit class in college. And in, in, uh, in Robinson Crusoe, he's on a trading ship and the ship uh, becomes shipwrecked and uh, it washes ashore and the entire crew of the ship except for Robinson dies. And he finds himself on this deserted island. And so the, the novel is an account of this, and by the way, the, the book you've maybe even read it. I don't know. It's it's the most translated. It's translated into more languages than any other book other than the Bible. Did you know that? 
Here's what he writes. He says, uh, we find him on an island all by himself, and here's his journal entry. He says, I now began to consider seriously my condition and the circumstance that I was reduced to. And I drew up the state of my affairs in writing, not so much to leave them to any that were to come after me, for I was like to have but few heirs, nobody's going to find me, and to deliver my thoughts from daily pouring upon them and afflicting my mind. That's why I wrote it, to get it out of my head. And as my reason began now to master my despondency, as I came to my senses, in other words, I began to comfort myself as well as I could and to set the good against the evil, that I might have something to distinguish my case from something worse. And I stated it very impartially, like a debtor and a creditor, the comforts I enjoyed versus the miseries I suffered. And so what we're going to see is uh, Robinson here, he's writing this journal entry, coming to his senses. He goes, okay, uh, here's where I'm at. Uh, Let's just weigh these things. And you're going to see him choose to be thankful. Check this out. First First he starts, you might think of it as his grumble list and his thankful list. Here's his, we'll start with the grumble. I'm cast upon a horrible desert island, void of all hope of recovery. Pretty good thing to grumble about, would you agree? But listen, look, look what he writes. But as thanks, I'm thankful that I'm alive and not drowned as all my ship's company was. I'm singled out, grumble, and separate as it were from all the world to be miserable. Nobody knows what it's like to be me. Nobody knows the ways I'm suffering but thankful that I'm singled out too from all the ship's crew to be spared from death. God who miraculously saved me from death can deliver me from this condition also. Back to the grumble list. I have no clothes to cover me. Thanks, but I'm in a hot climate where if I had clothes, I wouldn't wear them anyway. Grumble list. I'm without any defense or means to resist any violence of man or beast. Thanks, but I'm cast on an island where I see no wild beast to hurt me as I saw on the coast of Africa. What if I had been shipwrecked there? Grumble, I have no soul to speak to or to relieve me. Thanks, but God wonderfully set the ship in near enough to the shore that I've gotten out so many necessary things as will either supply my wants or enable me to supply myself even for the rest of my life. Whatever your circumstances, thankfulness is a choice. You can choose it. See, God says, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and laws and grumble? You can choose to be thankful. He hears your grumbling, yet he responds with grace to test you, that you would choose to obey Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. Jesus for you. Let's pray. Father, uh, I thank you for Jesus. I've, I got into the habit of praying that to where it is wrote so many times now, Lord, but as a reminder to me of your grace to me, to remind me that as I pray, even if I'm about to pray and complain, that I have much to be thankful for in Christ and you. Lord Jesus, thanks for the example you give us of the Israelites. Lord, help us to learn from it. Help me to learn from it. Not to think that it's it's old and outdated and, and of no relevance, but that it was
was written down for my instruction. Lord, I pray for those who hear my voice today who've never trusted you, who've never uh, put their faith, Jesus, in you, that today might be the day they turn from their sin and turn to you. And then, Lord, I pray for all of us that we would choose thankfulness. And just as, uh, before we sing and close this morning, just keep your eyes closed and take some time to think here. Ask yourself these questions just in the quietness of your heart. Your eyes closed, not looking around. Am I a thankful person? Are you a thankful person? Or are you complaining and grumbling? Not to say you don't have things to complain about, but are you thankful? Do you turn your eyes towards Ask yourself this too, am I seeing the blessings of thankfulness in my life? Am I choosing to obey and choosing to bless and honor? Am I choosing to sing and choosing to suffer? And then finally, am I choosing thankfulness over grumbling and complaining moment by moment? So you might make the choice right now, but I, I guarantee you a half hour, hour, two hours from now, you'll be faced with something to complain about. Are you choosing it moment by moment? It's a choice, friends. Jesus, help us to choose 